0: Hello, podcast listeners, 35ers, 35 heads, 35 guys, 35 guys. I like that. That's sort of fun. Hello, 35 guys. (laughs) More people than 35 people listen to this podcast every week. Um, But if it were exactly 35, that'd be sort of nice Uh, because it's definitely not... 35 minutes anymore. We're way past that. But um, thanks for listening, everybody. You clicked on the episode, so you know that today's guest is a really special one. Uh, It's a comedy legend. It's a really important person in the scene. Uh, If you haven't heard of him... He's uh, He opens for Jim Gaffigan. So if you happen to see Jim Gaffigan on a world stadium <laughs> theater tour uh, this year, you will see Ted as his opener. Uh, but our guest is, of course, Ted Alexandro. Uh, and like I explained to Ted in the episode, um, he uh, he's sort of like the professor of comedy, if not a classmate of mine. Uh, he's in his early 50s now. He just had his second kid. Um, he used to teach music. He is a socialist so we have a lot in common and getting to talk to him i you know i was just thinking like when i'm 50 and hopefully you know whatever i am a more evolved version of myself i hope i make time an hour even uh to talk to a you know uh uh a green uh 29 year old comedian who's um who's uh who wants to talk and is interested, Um, I hope I make time for that because he's had two kids and a wife and a house in Connecticut now after living in Astoria for many years and he took the time to talk to me and I really appreciate that. Uh, My favorite thing about Ted is that when he did my show in Astoria, his parents showed up and they sat in the front row and it was very sweet. Uh, He's a good man, he's somebody I admire. We get really into jokes, we get really into, his career is pivot from music, teaching to comedy, Uh, his early successes, his socialism. And then we get into, he does a very famous set about Louis C.K. and the Me Too movement that he did at the Comedy Cellar. And we get really into it. And so I've ended the episode not with uh, music, like in some of my other episodes. Uh, I'm sure Ted can sing. Uh, But this episode does not end with Ted singing. This episode instead ends with uh, three jokes by Ted one, uh, we, which I, all three of I reference one is, uh, a joke about Bernie Sanders and James Taylor. The other is about Zion Williamson, the basketball player. And the final one, uh, is his entire seven minute set at the comedy cellar, uh, about Louis CK and me too. I will preface that at the end in case somebody doesn't want to hear it for whatever reason, you know, um, Ted's on the right side of these. Things, but he is also making jokes um, on the topic of things that sometimes people don't like to hear jokes about. So I will just give you guys a heads up, but I like these three jokes because all three of them are, all three like bits are really, really funny, but they also, they all inform his worldview, um, which is one of um, one of being a leftist, uh, uh, left, of, left of the Democrats, and in a way that I find really inspiring and it's cool to just like you know he's one of my comedy heroes and you know he's in my email inbox now and that's pretty cool and i hope god maybe one day i can be that for somebody else um and if not if i can't be the comedian that ted can be i hope i can be half as kind as he has been and is to me um so this episode was sort of a dream come true and i hope you really enjoy it uh so without further ado uh the great Ted Alexandro. Follow him on all social media. Enjoy. it. Hey, Gabe. Hello, Ted. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Is that, is that better?
1: Yeah. Is that, that's okay. Is that buttery? Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Nice. <sighs> Sorry if, uh, if you want to go over time because I, I i arrived late please uh feel free to do so. No, of course not said you were I was just thinking you have
0: two children. I do. And a wife and a house. I do, I do. And
1: tomorrow
0: I have nothing to do and a friend asked me to go to a diner and I thought <laughs> this is a radical inconvenience. I can't be
1: <laughs> I, I can't be you, the- I mean just you hearing you describe going to a diner <laughs> with a friend <laughs> Uh, the life of leisure that you live is, is envious.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, you, I mean, in some ways, Ted, you're our poster child for that. You, uh, that's true. That's I true. I mean, you I have, have I, the, the Letterman joke, right? I did it.
1: I did it. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's come <laughs> back to, to haunt me. Uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely, uh, I had my time and enjoyed it as a, <laughs> as an unattached individual. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, now life finds me in a different place and that's equally beautiful though. Different. Yes, I imagine so. I it's funny, I
0: screenshot a tweet of yours that I wanted to read to you in context. This is While my wife took a bath, I changed the newborns and seventeen month old diaper. Later I replaced a screen in our son's bedroom window. When all is said and done, will this rank among the greatest day this will rank among the greatest days of my life? You said that. Yeah, and then I looked yeah. at your website and said he'd also been on the view. And I was
1: like, Well, <laughs> It's really a toss-up. It must be. <laughs> yeah, those... Well, you know, it's funny you bring that up because as I was ranking them in my head, uh, it, it, that w- those were the two I struggled with. Where do I place the view and uh, this particular day that you referenced? But it's true. I, I mean, more and more, like later after the podcast, uh, after we record, I uh, intend to mow our lawn because uh, we have family coming on thursday so uh I, I want to give the impression that we keep up our yard <laughs> you <laughs> you know, course. Things, that, things have gotten a little bit away from us gabe uh so yeah i, I, I have course. a big day you know and the sense of pride that i derive from uh fooling people um, <laughs> is 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 <laughs> immense
0: <laughs> yeah and then those tasks must to use like the children's they they hit different when you when you're provi- right when you're a father That's true. You get to mow a lawn. Right. It's like for everyone. It's not just for you and your appearance. Right.
1: That's a that's a great point. Yeah. I would I would, in fact, argue that it's more so uh, it's a selfless act on my part. It's it's Mm. for it's for others. Um, You know, at least that's what I tell myself. Yeah. But but it is. It's true. It's imbued with so much more meaning when it's not Mm. just everything is when it's just not about me. Yeah,
0: that's an it's really I mean I listen, I'm a twenty nine year old single man in Astoria. I don't have that type of responsibility. But for a long time I worked at a summer camp mm-hmm. for kids who were sick. And just you know sick, sick wheelchair. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were they were <laughs> they were put up with it. Um but you know, you're waking up at four in the morning to change a diaper, put a kid in a wheelchair, that stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah. And
0: it's like a zen-like, you know, it was eight weeks. It was a perfect idyllic job. Yeah. And you just give and give and give and give. And by the end, you know, someone would read the giving tree and you'd just like bawl your eyes out. You're like, I have nothing left to give. I need to go drink or do whatever I need to do.
1: I would think by the end of that eight weeks, you'd be like, that tree did not give enough. I have given more. Is <laughs> it still a stump? What? There's still a stump? <laughs> yeah, I'm a shell of a man. I didn't yeah. do any open mics. <laughs>
2: right, right. <laughs> no, man, kudos.
1: That's, that's, uh, that's admirable to, uh, to give of your time and, and to give to folks who could use your help.
0: It's nice, though I will say it always made me appreciate parents
1: so much because
0: I'm like, oh, we day six, those kids leave. Mm. But for you guys, that's just Saturday. That's when you're on full time. It's funny, Um, man, because, yeah,
1: I have an 18 month old son and a mm -hmm. two month old daughter. And only recently have I really started to feel like, you know, I can wake up like last night. I I woke up probably three or four times during the night um, to deal with one or the other and you know my wife as well Uh, I don't mean that I woke up to deal with her I mean that she (laughs) (laughs) did um it's like i have three kids i mean um no <laughs> so yeah but w- my point is that it didn't uh bother me like in the early going it was like fuck like when ha- when am i gonna get my full sleep you know when am i you know like i was still pining for like just a full night's sleep or just you know when are they gonna get back to s- to sleep or you know but now i i've kind of reached that zen like time of uh i just hear the I'm, I'm like a volunteer fireman i hear the alarm i get up and i go to the I go to the site. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a
0: good analogy, I think. You're underpaid.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, yes. But that,
0: that's well said. So, Ted, we are here to promote your album. Um, yes. Can we... So, I've listened to it. It's fantastic. I love it. Um, Thank you. Can you tell me a little bit about, like... So, it's called The Lost Album. And the, um, the construction of it is sort of interesting in that, like, it's from years. It's different years put together into one...
1: Yeah, album. yeah, yeah. it's kind of a patchwork album, uh, yeah. even more so than my last one. I put out three albums slash specials during the pandemic. Uh, yeah. The first was an accident. That was Stay at Home Comedian, which yeah. was just kind of pieced together from Instagram Lives. So that was talking about the pandemic. And uh, the New York Times wound up writing about that, I guess, just because it was a novelty and no one else had put out a... A spe- you know, like there's no other content coming out. Yeah. So I kind of put out this tongue in cheek special. So so that got some, some press. Uh, and then I put out Cut Up, which was pieced together from three performances, uh, three venues, I should say, um, The Cellar, Uh, The Village Underground and Helium in Portland. So those were the three that I used as kind of the spine to put up together uh, the hour that was in Cut Up. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then uh, the latest one is The Lost Album, which you referenced. And that's even more of a patchwork because the whole idea behind The Lost Album was there was 10 years or or plus, maybe 11 years between my first and second albums. Uh, As Much As You Want was put out in 2003 and Mm -hmm. uh i did it which has the joke that you referenced about you know making it into my 40s as a single man uh i did it was put out in i think 2014. so uh this album the lost album represents those 11 or so years uh though there are bits even from outside they're mostly from those years in between my first and second album where I just had never put out an album. I did Comedy Central specials. I did uh, Letterman, Conan. I did all these appearances. And I think in my mind that kind of, I thought like, Oh, the material's out there, you know, and this was before, kind of the mindset of put out an album every year every two years every you know whatever mm-hmm. so uh so anyway yeah the pandemic kind of gave me the time to to go back and write that wrong and say hey let's yeah. uh, let's put out an album from from those years because there was a lot of great stuff that i was very proud of that just was not out i i had not put it out properly for to document it on my own albums
0: yeah yeah it's cool so i've I've heard comedians, and I sort of feel this way too. What I do is solo shows, so berbiglia style, Edinburgh, a couple of years ago. That's what I like to put together, yeah, 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 and I always hear people talk about, oh, it's the second one where you start to, you have a data point, and then your second one is like. Where do you go from there? What do you now find interesting now that you have your first hour in the world? Right. Um, and it's it's sort of interesting to hear that yours was lost to TV appearances and Comedy Central half hours. And <laughs> um, and some of these jokes, like, wouldn't fly on television, I don't think. Like, Michael Jackson,
1: Microsoft, that joke. Well, that one, yeah. Actually, believe it or not, that, well, because it's cable, that one was on my second Comedy Central presents a oh, uh, half, nice. half hour. Yeah, yeah talking about joke. how... <laughs> Uh I guess like uh, in terms of pedophilia <laughs> Michael Jackson was running a mom and pop shop with a couple of llamas a Ferris wheel and uh the Catholic Church is like the Microsoft of of pedophilia titans um, of the industry titans of the industry <laughs> yes yes so yeah man that and I'm glad you brought that up cuz that was one of the jokes uh that was like some a joke that I was proud of that you know, not to say it was lost because it was on a special, but I wanted it documented. And also, it's kind of interesting because a lot of the stuff on the album is uh, time time specific, but yet it has this um, kind of lasting feel because of the fact that someone like Michael Jackson uh, is such an icon, and and you know, there's been documentaries since. You know, this this was joke was like probably close to twenty years ago. And uh, there's been stuff since and and also uh, same with there's some Tiger Woods stuff that I did back in the early aughts. And obviously, he's been through kind of several news cycles and things that have happened. So, yeah, the the material kind of some of it hits differently because of, uh, you know, it's still uh, it still resonates, but in different ways.
0: Yeah, I found that particularly true with the with the gay marriage stuff. That's right. Where. It's like, oh yeah, that was the biggest thing in the world or in yeah. U.S. politics. That was as left as we got, right? Like, I guess we'll allow gay marriage. Um, <laughs> and it, it was sort of like a time capsule, but it also like makes a lot of sense um, in today's context. Because it's like replace whatever leftist issue <laughs> That's right. gay marriage right. in the 2000s.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. The tone with which I... I- speak about it, because it, it was of that time, was right when gay marriage was being passed uh, at the state level. So in New York, it, w- mm-hmm. it was passed. And uh, yeah, just the, the celebrations that were going on and the context of how bizarre it was that it, it had not been to that point and other places had, other uh, countries had. Yeah. So, And I yeah, imagine...
0: It- Sorry, keep going. Just that it
1: it marks it marks that time, you know, which I which I like about the the lost album. It it marks the particular points of time, uh, you know, that it that it references.
0: Yeah, and it makes me think. And this, I think, is a larger thing that I want to ask you about, which is that you're a music teacher turned leftist, and I am a music (laughs) teacher turned leftist comedian. Also, (laughs) is that I imagine in the mid two thousands, there's a lot of gay marriage jokes, and not all of them are from your perspective. Which is that
1: like it's great we should love gay people right right it's it's more attacking the institutions that are preventing it from from uh seeing passage or being you know legislated yeah for sure for sure i mean i came up through through uh the long island scene and the new york scene and uh they were both equally kind of homophobic and misogynistic you know. uh, racist in the, in their ways, you know, so I came up through a lot of that and saw plenty of that, but certainly that was, that was not my perspective, um, or my take on, on things though. I mean, I had my share of jokes too, that as I look back were kind of laughs that were kind of, you know, uh, laughs that I wouldn't go for now. Mm. Um, but yeah, so it, it is interesting to see the evolution, but, I am kind of, I'm proud of myself in that I never did anything that I like totally cringe at like, Oh geez, you know, like I I've kind of been, my perspective has been pretty consistent.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, that's hard to, it's hard to do. Um, especially considering like, I think if we were to, there's no, (laughs) there's no side-by-side comparison of your album to like what a lot of club comics were doing at that time, but I'm sure, (laughs) I'm sure you, um, your stuff is aged better than I would say 99% of comics from that time. There's a lot well, of stuff that people yeah. are not proud of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I put it out too. It's like, if, if, it, mm-hmm. if it hadn't aged well, I would not put it out, you know, and I combed through a lot of stuff and it wasn't like, I was like, Oh, I can't, I can't put that out now. You know, it wasn't like I was avoiding stuff. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it all pretty much aged the way I expected. Um, so yeah, that was, that was another impetus for me to put it out because, I could stand by it. You know, it was, it wasn't like, Oh, you know, um, please forgive me f- for this stuff. It was stuff that I was still proud of. So, so that was why I put it all on the album. Hell yeah.
2: Um,
1: well, Ted, so
0: this, let me take a step back for a second. This podcast is a complete mistake in that. <laughs> so many re- things are so many. So things many are, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean to, it started because I wrote, I wrote letters with this girl from my hometown and we had sort of like lost touch and she had since given birth to a daughter. And I gave her a book that I remember when I was in third grade, I gave her this book holes or she lent me the book. And I remember being really nervous to return the book to this cute girl who lived across the street. I was super, super nervous. And years later, when I wrote her this letter, I gave her a copy of the book for her newborn daughter. And, and I said, Shannon, you might not remember this, but, Here's this book I borrowed from you. It was a big deal for me when I was eight. (laughs) Um, And she wrote back to me and said, Gabe, you'll never believe this. Of course, I remember holes. Of course, I remember you borrowing this book from me. I was a bad reader and I was nervous about not being a good reader. And so when you came up to me and told me the ending in school, like, can you believe the ending? Uh, she was like, I was so embarrassed that I hadn't read it, that I lied to you. And years <laughs> later, I saw the movie in theaters and said, "That's what Gabe was talking about." Oh and wow! So, and it was so strange <laughs> to have been perceived by someone else that I thought was cool and you know beautiful and all these things. And so I said, "Oh, it might be nice to talk to old classmates about yeah. like what have you been doing for the ah. past."
1: 20 years did you did years. you have books for all of them that you had not, not yet returned <laughs> I,
0: that would be great would, be like, like, like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah we call it late the late fees <laughs> podcast um and so I've been talking to old classmates, and the feedback I've been getting. I talked to classmates, and my high school marching band teacher, all these people. Yeah. And there was a flute reunion on my Instagram comments. Like it was. <laughs> it's really
2: been a sweet. Well, Journey. the flutes.
1: Let's face it. The flutes are always best at keeping in touch. <laughs> uh, yes, they have that schedule They're out. They're ready to go.
0: And so people have been saying, "Gabe, we want to know about comedy more. Talk about yourself." And so. Ted you have an album called Senior Class of Earth I, and I consider you a senior class of comedy if not a professor of comedy so we are now <laughs> dipping into the com- my comedy world less so yes. my high school and my college world <laughs> um, with this episode you are the the George Carlin chair or whatever you know <laughs> Eddie Murphy chair of uh, of comedic study. so that's ah, how you, you ended up here today Yes, uh, and I appreciate it so um,
1: likewise yeah for sure
0: um, so, okay, so music teacher turned socialist. How did, how did you go from a music teacher, excuse me, to socialist comedian?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, it was all, you know, like a lot of life paths. Uh, a lot of it was accidental or just the journey and the twists and turns. Uh, I had studied jazz piano in college for a couple of years, was immersed in that, uh, but, but had that sense that I was in a, over my head. Uh, As you do with with music, if you're not really cut out, you know, like uh, you're (laughs) kind of scuffling. So uh, and I was surrounded by so many like really gifted musicians that, you know, I just knew like, okay, I got to I got to change paths here. So uh, I took a year off and I had a friend who worked at a local um, Catholic school and they were looking for a gym teacher. Now, mind you, I was only 20 years old at the time. Uh, but I come to find out that, uh, the requirements to teach our youth are, <laughs> are minimal at the, uh, the Catholic school level. Uh, they're yeah. like, can you, can you blow a whistle? I was like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. So, so next thing I knew I was teaching K through eight gym class during my year off where I was like figuring out what's next. Uh, yeah. so that was, you know, I, I cause I, re- I remember turning 21 at that job, you know? Um, wow. So that was my first. And I came from a family of teachers. So it was kind of a natural thing to get into. And I, I think I had teaching in my in my DNA. So, yeah, that was an interesting year to, to start teaching. So then I, I wound up when I went back to school getting my master's in elementary education. Uh, and I combined those two things because I had at that point a uh, what amounted to, I guess, like a double major. I, I had uh, the music credits and the elementary ed. So I, I taught music for five years when I got out of school and yeah. uh, that was like a, a good gig, you know, uh, as far as I was public speaking, I was performing in a sense as a teacher. You you do have to uh, maintain their attention and make yeah. it interesting and uh, make it uh, unpredictable and exciting. So and it was also the arts, you know, I, I remember having good teachers that got me interested in the arts, or affirmed, you know the directions that I was already inclined towards. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I got to be that figure for uh, a generation of, of young uh, K through five kids. I got to be their music teacher, which was a cool thing. Um, yeah. And at night, I was starting out my standup career. So that you know those two things were parallel mm-hmm. in the beginning. And I was figuring both out. I didn't know, you know, because it's it's interesting. You have a voice as a teacher, too. So you kind of find that, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and you can't pretend to be something you're not. If you're if you're like not a disciplinarian, you can't come in and because pre- kids can sniff it out, that, you know, they don't buy it. And same yeah. with crowds, like uh, you're mm-hmm. finding your voice and you, you get a sense of what they buy coming from you. So uh, they were they were complimentary in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, I love that. What drew you to elementary? I would have assumed, so I, right now I run a writing center at a high school, mm-hmm. which is really nice because it's just one-on-one. You don't have to like be on stage so much as you can just yeah. sort of be yourself. Yeah, yeah. What drew, and I love high schoolers. My my shtick at camp was 16 year old boys or six and seven year old girls. Those, those <laughs> are my sweet spots. So right, what drew you to right. elementary ed as opposed to, I would have thought, oh, high school kids, right? We tell dirty jokes. You can sort of get away with stuff. What drew you to the little ones? <laughs>
1: Well, again, I I think a lot of it had to do with my dad was an elementary school teacher uh, for 30 years in in Bushwick in Brooklyn. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I yeah. And being one of five as well, the second oldest of five, I guess I was used to kind of having younger kids that I was in some way not responsible for. But, you know, just mentoring in some way. Um, And also I felt like my music knowledge It was, let's put it this way. It was an easier gig to teach kids recorder than to like, than to like high school. You really have to know your shit. Like if you teach all the woodwinds or you teach, you know, the string instruments or whatever, I could just like buy 300 recorders, pass them out. And, you know, we'd have a concert at the end of the year. So the the, the bar was much lower.
0: (laughs) That's like that Marge Simpson joke where she's like, I'm going to teach piano. It's like, you don't know piano. It's like, I'll just stay one lesson ahead of the kids
1: and I'll be fine. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It was more or less like that yeah you know so it was it was fun it it was good but I definitely as comedy became more centered in my life and became more viable uh, Mm -hmm. like I knew it was time to get out of teaching and um, you know I had my first Conan while I was still teaching which was kind of a, a wild thing cuz i had kept it a secret too it wasn't like i was telling people i'm you know cuz it's so weird when you're starting out you tell people you're a comedian and they're like oh great you know my my nephew likes comedy or you know yeah everyone's yeah. got a story about some you know they don't they don't think you're really doing it so uh so word got out that i was on conan so that was a good way for the the faculty to find you know and the parents and everybody to find out that uh that I was yeah. living this double life. <laughs> and that was the that was the NBC iteration, right? The Late That's right. Yeah, that was his first his first show. What was it called? The the Late Late Show or whatever it was called. Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Late, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um and pre-YouTube, so like There's just word of word on the
1: street. There was a videotape that was making the rounds. There was a VHS Yes. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. I I did not uh, make that tape. Uh, One of the, one of the other, I think parents or whatever made the tape and, uh, and started passing it around. Yeah. That's a great
0: way to justify because I'm, I'm an I work at Bard High School, which is in Long Island City. Yeah. And they love me because I'm super cheap. I'm non-union.
2: <laughs> they, Bard
0: College pays me, but it's a public school. So I get this, they get this little workaround and I take advantage of them. They're not listening. I take advantage <laughs> of them because I work nine months a year. Yes. And next year I've <laughs> negotiated to not work Fridays. So I'm slowly like bleeding out so i can like work the road i Dave, can like- that's
1: that is the that is the exact template i followed i i I, mm. I was uh two days a week at one school three days a week at the other and then that kept whittling down until i was like one at, at one school one day at the other yeah so so yeah just keep chipping away man
0: <laughs> yeah take because they every time i bring up money they're like uh ah. And then I bring up time and they're like, time is, f- with your job, nobody's, there's no HR department right, I really right. hope they don't listen now. I call in a sick day and there's no one keeping tallies. Yes. <laughs> I just,
2: <laughs> yes.
0: Um, so it's nice to hear you. God, it's really nice to hear someone with like pers- 25 years of perspective on it. It's like, oh yeah. At the end, I was sort of like bleeding out. I was like, I'm bleeding out now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Nice hear someone survive.
1: But- <laughs> well, yeah, I did. I I stayed longer then i should have too i there because i started i started the fifth year Mm -hmm. and by i knew by you know let's say halloween that i i was not going to make the full year um i think i had even gone to uh just for laughs festival up in montreal that that summer so then i went back to teaching and uh i knew like I, i i can't i can't do this anymore so i told the principal i can make it until christmas uh the holidays and then i'm i'm gone so i actually i left and i wound up moving out to la for pilot season i mean moving in quotes i i spent like six months out there whatever it was yeah um so it was kind of cute because then like the kids all made i got like you know, 300 cards, uh, Mr. A, Mr. A is going to Hollywood and they show like <laughs> sign of me, uh, like by the Hollywood sign, like with a suitcase. Oh my <laughs> you God. Know? So it was really sweet. All, <laughs> all the cards I got and, and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, yeah, but I, but I knew it was, it, it was time, you know, and I kind of like just made my way through that, that final semester, even though I was, I was kind of burnt out on it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because the, god sometimes you just have to evolve i feel like when i was 22 i was like i need to do teaching is like the only thing that i could do because it's such like a pure giving back to the world and at a certain point it's like if you stay because you think in theory it's the right thing to do like you're probably gonna be a bad <laughs> teacher
2: yeah yeah um, you
0: should
1: yeah, it follow has to, yeah it really has to be something either that you you are impassioned about or that you're 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 burnt out and you're just going towards the pension, you know, like the people that the lifers that are just, you know, hitting the clock too. It's, it's one or the other kind of, (laughs) yeah, we brought, it
0: was so funny. There's a couple of people I know who are like that. And we went to, we had a teacher's Friday afternoon teacher gathering at the Creek in the cave. Yep. And I went and I'm like, Oh, I'm here all the time. And there's a couple of teachers here there who are like, I'm never coming to this place again. This place is sticky and gross. I was like, oh, this is the only place I like.
1: <laughs> this is home. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah. What do you mean it's sticky and gross? Like enjoy your pensions. Enjoy this job for 30 years. I, I gotta, there's other things for me. There has to
1: be. <laughs> yes. Yes.
0: Um now I guess my next question for you, Ted, is about um is about your your what I would consider transgressive socialism. At times in comedy when, you know, I, I, I didn't identify as a socialist till after, till I had some perspective on the Hillary Trump election mm-hmm. and started to drift towards sort of like leftist podcast, leftist media, right. um, the Matt Christmans of the world, the Brianna Joy Grays of the world, where I'm like, oh, these are my people. Right. Um, this binary that we've been sold is not good and bad. It is all, it is, you know, it is these two parties and then like people I, um, respect. Um, <laughs> right. And so where, when did you start like sort of identifying as like either like a third party person or a healthcare is the most important thing person or whatever it is yeah, uh, to yeah. find your leftism?
1: Yeah. I think it, it again, it was a, a journey and, um, it kind of presented itself to me as I became more engaged. Um, you know as far as activism goes uh, i had organized the comedians for a pay raise on a couple of occasions so that was kind of my entrance into organizing and activism uh, yeah. almost accidentally you know it wasn't like i was like a big labor guy or union but i i, I kind of worked backwards and and then i mm. started learning about those things and learning about history and connecting yeah. with other people who had more knowledge than i did Uh, So, yeah, we formed the New York Comedians Coalition and and got the pay raised on a couple of occasions. Uh, And then, of course, the other big turning point for me was Occupy Wall Street and getting involved there and spending just about every day, you know, uh, that it was it was there for a couple of months. And I I was there probably, uh, gosh, I don't know, 80 plus percent of the time. Anytime I was home. Yeah, you know, just wound up going. I, I was just so. Compa- I went down on a lark because I read about it in, in the New York Times. Uh, there's people camping out in Lower Manhattan, and it, again, I wasn't like a big activist. Like, oh, I, I gotta be, I gotta be there. That's that's you know the the clarion call for me. Yeah. Uh, so I went down to check it out, and it just resonated with me so much. You know, like what people were doing and the audacity of being in the heart of the financial district. And, in the shadow of the World Trade Center, which was uh, you know at that point no longer there uh, it, to me it, it was just so much symbolism and, and what these this you know ragtag group of people were just choosing to put their bodies uh, in a park and so yeah, it was very compelling to me, and again opened up almost a portal to think about all these things and to really uh you know it 's really an invitation to become uh, a student of so many different things. Uh, like you talked about finding your, your people, finding people that, mm. uh, were thinking the same things and, you know, and, and so many, you know, I always liked the, um, the, the, I, I don't know what, I don't know if motto is the right word, but one of the, uh, the things that you would hear, uh, repeatedly at occupy wall street was all our grievances are connected so whether it was healthcare or the climate or mass incarceration or you know over policing whatever it was they were all kind of tied back to capitalism um so yeah that, that was kind of a the beginnings of me really uh having that perspective and digging you know, because there's so so many smart people there too. That's the other thing. Just despite the media portrayal of like hippies or dirty people or this or that, yeah, I mean, there's a lot a lot of very very smart people there. So that's why I kept going back.
0: Yeah, I find it so interesting today with with some comedians who think they're transgressive or think they're truth tellers who really are just backers of. Big government and like, the, <laughs> like wars um, and things like that. And for me, like it, I, I feel similarly in that. Oh, the smartest people, the people that really inspire me, um, usually have this like leftist perspective, which is that like real freedom is everyone having health care, so you can quit your job and live your passion, right? If America were really great, you could have diabetes and quit your job and you wouldn't die. Yeah, but in this country. Like you couldn't have diabetes and and quit my job if if I had diabetes I just have to work there forever. Yes. Um, or find something else. And that's insane to me. Um, Right. Especially having worked with sick kids. Sure. Um, Sure. That's that's sort of outrageous. Um,
1: Yeah. And those are the things those are kind of the underlying things when you extrapolate all these issues. Right. And the same with mass incarceration, all the all all the human Mm. potential that is literally caged. Right. Like, uh, wow. All all of this uh, possibility. Right. And dreams. And, you know, like you said, even even people that are doing work a day jobs that they'd rather not be doing because they have to for whatever the case may be. Uh, but again, all those grievances are connected and tied back to, uh, kind of a lack of freedom in in one way or another.
0: Yeah. The strangle on human potential, Ted, that's a, you stumbled on something there, which is, which is that how much mental health issues could we subvert if everyone didn't have to worry about, you know, getting sick and going bankrupt because of it, not just the illness, but these things compound. Um, Yeah, that's really well said. I I guess I'd never attach the label of stifling human potential, but like that's what real freedom looks like, right? Like it's not.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you ask, sure, sure. If you ask any person on the street, like what would you rather be doing what's your dream you know I, I, in a way like you, have you seen that uh humans of new york uh th- those types of sites where they kind of people speak from the soul and they just like kind of get the, these really uh, beautiful kind of snippets of of you know who who these people are uh but yeah if, i think if you ask most people and, and that's part of the beauty of of being in the arts is like i'm i'm doing what i want to be doing you know which is which is a gift mm, in itself yeah. but i think yeah. most people yeah they they have that thing in the back of their mind where they'd rather be doing something else or they'd rather be creating um, a business or they'd rather be living somewhere else right because i mean that's another thing is and we've seen that with the pandemic is uh capitalism and it's and it's many kind of consequences move people around the globe uh, if not the country you know uh because when something happens or some disaster you have to move back with your parents or back with uh you have to have roommates or so all of these other kind of um ripple effects of capitalism that are kind of incalculable as well that that remove freedom of, of choice of 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 where you literally live
0: yeah Yeah. For the illusion of choice. That's right. That's like a big libertarian talking point, right?
1: Like, (laughs) like they
0: think it's choice and of course it's not choice. It's right? It's Applebee's or Chili's. It's the same thing. Uh, (laughs) It's all the same microwave.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um,
0: that's yeah. It's, it's interesting to hear you say that and coming from, like, I, I guess I struggle specifically connecting the dots between like working with kids, teaching music, um, being a music major, being someone who's moved by music, being somebody who then pivots to comedy—how does that necessarily inform my leftism? But I think it comes from a um, a desire for everyone to feel um, connected to the world and empowered um, uh, with with you know healthcare rights, with um, uh, uh, political candidates that allow them to like live a fulfilling life. Um, sure. And that I feel very lucky to live the life I live where I, you know, I go away for a summer and I help sick kids or I want to do stand up and I just dive into that and make a solo show. Here it is. Um, When other people don't seem to be able to do that because of the shackles of of capitalism and circumstance, it makes you feel, one, it makes me feel a little guilty. And two, it makes me feel (laughs) like everyone should have that opportunity. Everyone should have not healthcare till they're 27, healthcare forever. It's insane that we don't.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah well it it is you know and and especially now with the growth of uh, the amount of people in debt for one reason oh or God. another that's that further complicates or, or further impedes people's ability to to choose um, but yeah I think you know on on a very simple level, I think what animates the choices you're talking about, and I think for me what animates like the the choices I've made is uh, kind of love, a love of humanity, uh, wanting to be part of a larger ecosystem. Uh, you know, whether it's at a camp or whether it's uh, in a school or even on stage with a crowd. Right there's there's an ecosystem, and you're at the center of it if you're if you're speaking into a microphone. But um, yeah, I think it has to come from some form. You know, I don't know if everyone would articulate it as as love, but a desire to uplift, a desire to connect, uh, you know, a desire maybe to get certain ideas through uh, that make people laugh as well, you know. So, yeah, it's it's simple, yet obviously very complicated uh, as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I When I think about wanting to have been a choir teacher, that was like my dream for a long time. And I would close my eyes and think about, oh, how, what kind of conductor am I going to be? It was just stand up it was just it, a you know, it was funny,
1: letting, funny conductor
0: yeah I, I wanted to do bits um and it's it's very rewarding not to have to listen to the tenors and altos sing a duet in the middle of it right um, but it's you know it's breathing together it's being being a great conductor is not talking at people it's talking with them yeah um, great stand-up is the same way right you're all you're all breathing and laughing together uh choir is a similar yeah. thing and the the love aspect god that's a thing that i really think I wish more comedians would talk about. I feel like I've, I've come to the conclusion that comedians never get feed get enough feedback from other people. They just like listen to their sets where they don't, and they just like chip away. And I'm like, oh, I want to be the comedian that gets the most feedback possible. Like, how do I make this joke better? Um, but the love aspect is a really interesting thing. I um, I have these two boys that I work with that are my friends. They're in their early 20s now. They have muscular dystrophy. And last week I took them to Atlantic City for their end of pandemic, we're all vaccinated trip. And the hotel fucked up everything. You didn't get an ADA room. The parking was a nightmare for a handicapped van with two wheelchairs, whatever. And I get on the phone with the Hard Rock Hotel and I'm sort of like, I'm not berating them, but I'm sort of like making fun of them yeah. where I'm like, you couldn't have messed this up anymore. Right. Like if you woke up and said, I'm going to make Gabe's life harder, you couldn't have done a better job than you've done. Yeah. And I'm sort of teasing him. And finally he gives us a free night and I hang up the phone and Austin goes, Gabe, that's why you do comedy. It stops you from being so angry. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I was like, that's a whole solo show right there, Austin. You just drilled me.
1: <laughs> that's great. That's great. And also, um, you know, your choice of uh, uh, of hotel. Like, I don't know if, if uh, <laughs> like a rock and roll theme, like rock and roll is not known for its uh, attention <laughs> to detail, customer yeah. service. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. It's, yeah, it's not sex, drugs, and customer
2: service. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Um, that's another great Simpsons joke. The first rock and roll fantasy camp. They say the first rule is there are no rules. The second rule, no outside food. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Ted, that love, that love element is a real key ingredient, I think to my politics, to the comedy that I love, that I value. Um, And it's why so much of the, so much of comedy today that doesn't feel like it comes from a place of love. It comes from a place of, Triggering the libs or saying the most vulgar thing—it um, just doesn't appeal to me. It's not that I think it should be illegal. I just think it's boring.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I I agree, and and I think you know a lot of comedians would probably almost bristle at the notion of bringing up love, but you have mm. you have to lo- you have to love people to to go to uh whether it's the creek every every night every week you know the the places we're going night after night year after year for decades you have to love what you're doing and you have to love people because mm-hmm. once we get there it could be anywhere right it 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 it, it almost like you lose everything fades into the background it's just people congregating it could be a holiday Inn in in passaic new jersey or it could be the (laughs) creek in the cave in in long island city you know it all kind of you're just people who have left their home for an experience um Mm. so yeah i think love does animate that you know uh of course it all it doesn't always go according to plan uh But, uh, you know, to 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 keep coming back, to keep uh, going through all of the ups and downs for for years and years for, you know, not, not to say that it's a life of service. Uh, I think that's, that's, that's maybe part of what happens. You know, people come up to you after a show and say, you know, I was going through a hard time or, you know, uh, someone in our family passed or, you know, you find out all these other things. So that's not why you left your, I didn't leave my house to, to help a family grieve. I, I left to, to perform, but, um, you know, th- those things kind of become ancillary parts of, of what you do.
0: Yeah, Yeah. That's really well said. That's really well said, Ted. Um, I uh, I have a couple more things written down. One is with the with Bill Cosby being released. I rewatched your uh, your Louis set, which <laughs> yeah, when yeah. I watched it, Ted, <laughs> I said to myself this is the only set a comedian should be proud to show their child. Like, <laughs> hey, this is what I do. Um, because what stands out a year and a, a half still, they're later-
1: They're still young. They're still
0: young. <laughs> <laughs> probably, yeah, probably a little early. It's probably a little <laughs> PG-13. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't show them now, That's a bad idea. Um, <laughs> um, but there's something so, um, God, so many comedians, I think- today see themselves as as truth tellers and i really admire your desire to do that on that stage because you're you're not at union hall you know union hall be slam dunk right um and we don't have to go too much into this but i i guess like um like are you as proud of it as you were then this 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 louis set which i will probably post at the end of this episode
1: yeah i am thanks man i appreciate i appreciate that I am. In some ways, it's almost like an out of body experience because, uh, you know, I told my wife like that, like I wrote I wrote that one night where I woke up at like four in the morning and it was kind of stream of consciousness because and obviously, you know, from, from having a wife who, who who thinks about these things as well and is smart and, you know, we're constantly talking to each other. Uh, so that helps me to work through you know how I'm feeling about it and what my perspective is, mm-hmm. uh, so that's an integral piece of my process. Um, but yeah, I woke up at four in the morning and just like kind of spewed it out, like you know, pages and pages of this stuff. And uh, initially, I actually reached out to Trevor Noah because I had just done uh, the the Just for Last festival with him, uh, like just weeks prior. Mm -hmm. And we knew each other years back. We had done a gig in the UK many years ago. Uh, So just reconnecting, he said, you know, I love what you're doing. Uh, Here's my number. If you have, you know, he gave me his number, his manager's number. So I thought like, Maybe I'll I'll see if I can make, you know, foolishly, I, I can make a Daily Show segment out of this. Uh, but, you know, I, now with a little distance, I realize like it's probably a little bit of a third rail to like, you know, talk about another comic uh, on The Daily Show. But I felt like it was really emblematic, uh, you know, n- not just that it was about Cosby and, uh, and Louis C.K., but it was really uh, talking about the whole culture and and me too and i talked about the you know the u.s military uh talk about a culture of patriarchy and misogyny uh so anyway uh after like he passed on it i wound up doing it at the cellar which in in, in some ways was even better because like you said the the importance of doing it on the stage that is so associated with louis um yeah it, it it had extra meaning uh mm. behind it so yeah so to, i only did that set like probably i don't know five times like a over a couple of wow. nights you know yeah i just because I, I, I was going back and forth between the cellar and the village underground which is around the corner yeah. and uh i did it uh, it it was fewer than five times I'm i'm pretty sure uh, but recorded each of them and then just put out the one that I wound up putting out on YouTube and it kind of just caught fire and and, and made the rounds. Um, yeah. So I, I am proud of it because it, it was it was coming from that true place, that authentic place of um, I need to talk about this. Uh, I have something to say. And also that it was funny, you know, like I didn't want it mm. to just be, you know, like like you said, I didn't want like applause breaks at Union Hall because it's people that all agree with it. I wanted to do it at a comedy club and specifically the comedy cellar. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I am proud of, you know, looking looking back on that. It's It's fun for me to watch.
0: Yeah, it's it's so exciting. It feels like the most daring. It's like my favorite set, like of the last ten. Like I think it's important. Thanks. And, um, and uh, your desire to do that, Ted. Like, is it? It's really ballsy. Like, it's really fucking ballsy. Do you? Is it? Is it naivete? Is it? Do you just have big balls? Like, what? Like, what gets you to to follow through on that?
2: Is well, it a sense yeah, of I mean
1: uh yeah yeah i mean it's probably uh the size of my balls uh (laughs) first and foremost uh no it is you know it's the same thing that got me going back to to zuccotti park Uh, i I am indignant when there is injustice that is going unaddressed you know whether Mm -hmm. it's on the macro or the micro level so a lot of my comedy finds its way into those waters uh so and now this was a a particular uh ecosystem that i you know i this wasn't just a story about louis ck also i used to open for him in like 2007 2008 i I worked you know very intimately with him for like a year where we were you know traveling just the two of us uh going to venues and so he was you know a friend in terms of like comedy like we were friends like you know we weren't hanging out outside of stand-up but You know, he thought enough of me to to ask me to open for him. It was a great you know, this was like during the Louis show years uh, right from its inception. So I was kind of a fly on the wall. Even actually, I remember right when he he got the deal, when he decided to go with uh, with FX for the show. But anyway, uh, so, yeah, all of that kind of informed it, too, where uh, I, I felt it was almost like my responsibility for lack of a better term, like yeah. to to speak to speak on this uh, on behalf of all of my colleagues, uh, mm. female, male, uh, all patrons, uh, but 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 mostly because because it didn't sit right with me, and I felt like the the, the backdrop against the, which the set happened too was Louis had just come back to the cellar, kind of yeah. unannounced like they just put him back on the stage uh, as if nothing had ever happened. And I felt as though, like, wait a second, um, you know, not enough has been done to properly address what took place, you know. Mm. So, so, yeah, I, I just felt like um, for someone that I held in high regard, too. So in a certain sense, I, I was taking him to task. That was a piece of it. But yeah. I was – it was more of a comedic context he, he was part of, as was Co- Cosby. Uh, so, yeah, all, all of that kind of fit together. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, with these kind of things, Gabe uh, – more often than not, I find that I I have to do it. I can't not do it. like I, ha- I I you know I I, I remember speaking to uh, Todd Barry, speaking to, to Gary Gullman, uh Judy Gold, like talking, and everybody w- was having these conversations. Yeah. But uh, you know, I, I felt like all right, let let me see if I can um, if I can do this. You know, and and that's yeah. the most exciting thing about standup too is like, yeah. Uh, let me see if I can do if I can do this. You know, I, I knew what I wrote. I knew it was was funny. Uh, but I knew it wasn't easy, too. Some some jokes are easy to tell. Some sets are easy to do. Others are uh, a, a challenge to do. Yeah. And that, that was definitely a challenge.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's really nice to hear you say that um, because as a you know who wasn't a fan of louis i feel sure. and also i feel connected to comics i work a weekend with right. you travel with someone on the road like of that's an intimate thing that you're doing of course you're, um, your friend your friends for life after one one weekend one right? weekend yeah yeah uh, even people i don't even necessarily like i'm like oh we have a bond i brought them up on stage of course of course yeah. um and the thing that disappointed me so much about the whole louis situation and the thing, really the thing that grinds my gears now is that I do believe in restorative justice. I do believe that 100% people have Redemption, yeah, all of
1: it. Forgiveness. And I
0: never I never got any of that. I never got a real sense of remorse or wanting to course correct. Um and it it it's disappointing. The person I thought he was from his stand up was somebody who would want to be better. And I guess I that never getting that made me feel yep. empty and your set made me feel a little bit more whole <laughs> that you could still be mad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I felt like it was a missed opportunity there for, for again, somebody that I held in high regard, somebody I considered smart. Yeah, um, yeah like a real opportunity for a mea culpa and to demonstrate, um, here's what I'm doing, you know, and here's where I am now, you know. And yeah. like you said, I, I'm all about forgiveness and second chances and redemption. But, uh, yeah, to just show up like that. Um, didn't like it, you know, didn't like the way the seller handled it. And I told the owner too, that was another thing. I had a conversation with the owner of the club, Gnome, And, uh, I said, nah, this is, this isn't right, man. This is not right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and but it's also, Uh, a byproduct of, of doing comedy for decades. You know, I, I wouldn't have done any of these things in year five or 10 or 15, you know? Uh, so it's, it's when opportunity meets, you know, like experience and all of the, all of those things coalesce at a moment. And I've found this over the course of my life and over the course of uh, my career that, uh, there are these moments, you know, that pop up where, uh, you can feel, the stakes a little bit higher. You can feel um the import the import of of what you're talking about, you know. Um yeah. yeah. So so it's fun when those things land the way you want them to.
0: Yeah. It's cool. It's I mean, I'm not gonna butter your bread too much, Ted. I, I enjoy the set. Thank um, you. Thank you. <laughs> so listeners of this podcast will know that we end with fill in the blank questions um that are specifically curated for you. So here we go. Um You open for Jim Gaffigan now. Your favorite Gaffigan
1: bit is what? Oh, man, my favorite Gaffigan bit. You know, he has one, and I don't know if it's on his last special or if he hasn't put it on a special yet, but he has one where he talks about uh, um, bicyclists and Mm -hmm. uh, how... um, you know, they're just like guys with jaw, like, you know, white collar jaw, like that are wearing a costume. And then they like go into they go into a Starbucks and he's like, click, 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 <laughs> like, Do you have oat milk? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like a little a little act out and detail. It just it makes me laugh. I mean, there's a million. He, you know, he's such a funny guy. Uh, yeah. But that, that one right now uh, is one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, I was driving around with a buddy recently and Comedy Central Radio was on. And you know, it's a deep gaffigan special from probably 10 years ago. And he's talking about whales, yeah and, yeah, and the Indian Ocean. And like the whale who swam from the Indian Ocean has stomach problems. And I was like, there's a lot of hacky ways to do Indian food jokes, that is by far the best joke. <laughs> like, it's so good, yeah. Um, he's yeah. a master, funny, uh, silly,
1: yeah. He's yeah, he's great. and
0: it's fun you two <laughs> open together. What a great show because you went from no kids to two kids, yeah. You, you, know, you know, yeah, it's <laughs> I don't, that might be a battle you're. Going to lose Ted. Uh, yeah, no, so I, many. I, I gladly. <laughs> gladly. Um, American comedy clubs need blank. Oh,
1: gosh. Uh, a lot of things. But um, American <laughs> comedy clubs need. Uh, well, let's say unions. Yeah, <laughs> for, right?
0: I love it. Hell yeah. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. That would be fantastic. Um, yeah. uh, the, best opener is blank. Mm. the best
1: openers always blank. The best openers always do well for starters because that's your job is to is to do well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, to me, I look at the job as a combination of to to have a good set to do well, uh, Mm -hmm. but also to get them warmed up for the person whose name is on the ticket, you know, like, you know, I'm not trying to destroy and, you know, say to Gaffigan or whoever, like follow that, you know, Uh, I'm there to, you know, and I I look at that, whether I'm on a show at the cellar with the five other comics or at a bar or whatever, like if my contribution to the show is the crowd for the, for the comic after me, uh, they're, they're in a good mood and they're, they're ready for the next comic that, you know, that, that's a good thing. I'm not trying to like, you know, just uh, flame the place so that uh, they remember me and nothing else. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. It's uh comedy is a, it's a team sport in that way too. Yeah. Um, yeah which i i did i played golf with tony dale last week and he oh, yeah, told tony, us yeah, great guy. he's the best yeah and he he goes yeah i do all these like clean jokes and then i love to tell the next dirty comic follow that <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right yeah he's the best yeah, he's so funny. um okay final one i'm gonna give you a choice of three of your jokes and you're gonna tell me which one is the best joke Are all right
1: ready? Here we go. These
0: are three of my favorites. We got uh, Zion Williamson, White Lives Don't Matter.
1: It's his birthday as we record this, by the way.
0: Oh, hell yeah. I love that. Uh, Bernie James Taylor. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Or uh, Michael
1: Jackson, Microsoft.
0: (laughs) And the winner I will also play at the end.
1: (laughs) Wow. Well, thanks. Thanks for naming those three. Um, I would say it's, it's from one of the first two that you mentioned just because the the other one is is kind of in the rear rear view mirror a while sure. now the other that you know i always feel a, a little bit more attached to the more recent ones mm-hmm. uh so i'll i'll go with zion the zion williamson bit just because i like when i can take a person or a uh an event and extrapolate it to have like kind of larger meaning talk about something bigger within the context that you know use it as kind of a uh an entree into larger themes so so yeah i mean i do i do that with the bernie james taylor bit as well and i love that bit but i feel like that one's more niche whereas the zion one you know that one kind of went a little viral as well uh Yeah,
2: you yeah, could that.
0: hit a teenager in Oklahoma who's like, this Zion bit is amazing. I think that one did have universal appeal. But yeah. I will say the James Taylor-Bernie bit where <laughs> is made me feel like, because I go to see James Taylor with my family too. And <laughs> yes. I was like, "This it belongs in the Smithsonian. And um, it's it's one of those jokes where you hear and you're like, only one person could write this, which is like the best kind of joke.
1: <laughs> well, apparently too, Gabe. It could have been,
0: been you uh, It could have well. been me. I know, I know. Right now, mine is... Uh, I'm doing a long bit about the Goldman, the CEO of Goldman Sachs is a DJ. And I'm like, oh, this has a a flair of Ted Alexandro in it. I love it. I love Um, it. Because he went to my college. And so they use him to fundraise. And so I'm like, this is your pitch. This is the worst person on earth. (laughs) All right, right, Ted, this is where it's exactly two o'clock. You're a really kind man. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you pleasure. for being a uh, being a guest and being a thoughtful person. And uh, you're invited to do my Thursday show at QED anytime. I know you're in Connecticut. Yes. Um, anytime you feel like doing 20 minutes or 30 minutes. That's <laughs> We had Goldman and I said, I can give you $30 for 20 minutes. And he said, how about $0 for 30 minutes? <laughs> I was like, that's a great compromise. <laughs> that's a comedian's
1: negotiation right there. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's like great. he's an
0: open micer again. The time is more important than the money.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Uh, that's great. Well, Gabe. I really appreciate you having me on and I've, I've very much appreciated, uh, you know, meeting you in this context and, and, uh, and talking about all the things we did and uh, I'll take you up on the QED thing when I'm in Astoria and and also uh, love to come back on at at some point in the future. I would love that Ted. That would be really great. Sounds good, Gabe. Thanks buddy. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Okay.
0: Bye-bye. Well, we did it. I talked to the great Ted Alexandro, He was charming and kind and wonderful and funny uh please follow him on instagram and twitter um he's a great follow he tweets great jokes he has patreon uh you can subscribe to his channel he has a great instagram show he does with eddie pepitone who's a somebody we also talk about on this show quite a bit uh chris regan brought him up uh after dino and i talked about him so ted and um ted and eddie have a a weekly show uh And Ted has just like a bajillion comedy album. So please listen to uh, his latest one, the lost album. There's some jokes on there that I think are just fantastic. Uh, So check those out. Uh, I'm a big fan of Ted and we're going to end with three jokes, right? So we got the Bernie Sanders, James Taylor joke, the Zion Williamson joke. And then uh, just a heads up is about a seven minute set. uh, And the topic is, is me too. And Louie and Bill Cosby and all those things. So. Uh, If you're interested in that, um, please listen to the end. And if not, you can turn it off now. Uh, But enjoy these jokes. They're three of my all-time favorites. Uh, Ted is a master of his craft and somebody that I aspire to be like. Uh, And I don't say be because I'm just trying to be Gabe. Uh, But I think as much Ted as I can put into whatever Gabe is, that will be best. So thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for being a 35 guys, the 35, a 35 guy, (laughs) 35 guy. Uh, Thanks for listening to the pod. I appreciate you all Uh, share it, put it in your Instagram story. All that stuff is appreciated. Five stars in the store. Give me a little uh, review and enjoy these three jokes by the great,
1: kind, smart, funny, talented Ted Alexandro. The elections are coming up. We've had the, uh, the primaries, right, the two, the, uh, the two debates of the Democratic hopefuls. Uh, the first two episodes of America's Got Candidates. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to be president. <laughs> it's like the election cycle never ends now, right? It's just ongoing. People are always running. <laughs> it's so exasperating because I don't really care about, like, the personalities, right? It's like, it really is like you're watching uh, an episode of, like, some contest show where, like, Gwen Stefani and J-Lo are turning around in a chair like, oh, Bernie Sanders, what have you got for us? <laughs> hmm. Rachel Maddow and Chuck Todd should just be, they should just be in chairs and turn around like, three words or less, why do you want to be president? I like Bernie, but I like Bernie the same way I like James Taylor. Every summer I go to see James Taylor with my family. We see him in concert. And you always hope that he's gonna play Fire and Rain, You've Got a Friend. Sweet baby James. Same with Bernie. He gets out there, he tunes up. He's like, I think he plays in income inequality. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, he does. He's like, There is a young cowboy who cannot afford health care. Like, yeah, sing it, Bernie. <laughs> I've seen fire and I've seen rain. And if we don't do something about climate change, we're going to see a lot more of both. (laughs) Yeah, all right, Bernie, I'm digging it. I'm digging your vibe. So I don't know if he's going to win. But either way, a lot of the other candidates are doing Bernie covers now. (laughs) So it works out. It's like, hey, I know that song. That's Bernie's. It's the the same lyrics. I know that song. (laughs) There's this kid who's the projected number one pick in the NBA draft. His name is Zion Williamson. Yes, some of you are so excited that you, you, you yell it out. Zion Williamson is an amazing athlete. So I watch clips of him on YouTube, but I don't watch his clips at Duke. I watch his clips from high school because it's fascinating. He was the same exact size and he just destroys these little white kids. It's the most hilarious thing to watch. If you ever need a pallet cleanse from police brutality videos, Watch Zion Williamson playing high school basketball. Oh, it is like a White Lives Don't Matter video. It is just wonderful. It's like the scales of justice tipping back one dunk at a time. I want y'all to give a big round of applause to my man, Ted Alexandro, y'all. Clap it up for Ted. (laughs) Alexandro. guys for almost clapping until I made it to the stage. (laughs) What, does a guy have to be convicted of sexual assault to get an extended ovation? What do I have to do up here? Do I have to take my dick out? What do I have to do for you to cheer my arrival at the stage? Ask yourselves that. Oh, you know where you are. Tough time for stand-up comedy. (laughs) Particularly certain comedians. What's going on though? The icons, right? They're dropping like flies. Bill Cosby's a rapist. If you had told me in the 1990s that between Bill Cosby and Donald Trump, one would go on to become president and one would be going to jail for rape, (laughs) I would've got that one wrong. (laughs) But what's with this PC culture? It's suffocating, right? Oh. Do you want to live in a world where a man can't politely ask a colleague If he can take off all his clothes and masturbate to completion are we in that is that where we are as a culture in the most gentlemanly of terms may i please take my dick out and ejaculate in the workplace is that where we are Look, there are mechanisms in place for justice, right? Eventually, justice is served. You know, women complain that they're second-class citizens. But look, Bill Cosby raped dozens of women... Decades went by. The allegations were widely known and reported. Comedian Hannibal Barris told some jokes about it. It went viral, and eventually justice was served. The system works. (laughs) The US military has an epidemic of sexual assault and rape. People report it, it gets ignored. Why should the stand-up community be held to a higher standard than the United States military? (laughs) fucked up, right? Very fucked up. Why can't we just return to the golden age of comedy? Why can't we put it behind us? Just return to the golden age. Let Bill, let Bill go back to being Dr. Huxtable, a a gynecologist with access to vaginas and drugs. They say criminals leave clues. I just thought it was a fun family show. I had no idea. It was a murder trail. Right? Why can't we just let Louie go back to writing jokes about how men are the gravest threat to the safety of women? But he, does, he doesn't just write jokes. He walks the walk. And I think that is to be commended. He's a performance artist. Very disturbing, (laughs) Mr. (laughs) C.K. But appropriate, right? In the age of Trump? It's no different. Is it any different than... Donald Trump said, when you're famous, you can grab him by the pussy and nothing will happen. Louis's version of that joke was... When you're famous, you can ask him if you can jerk off in front of him. <laughs> and clearly, nothing will happen. Oh God, And the, but there's people, right? Oh, but he's lost, he's lost, he's lost everything. It's not fair that men should lose everything in a flash. And by everything, I mean, hardly anything, and and in a flash I mean a decade later. (laughs) All right, let's, let's, let's do that shift. (laughs) Said what I need to say for tonight. Maybe some jokes would be nice. (laughs) Not that these aren't, but you know, this is what I walk around thinking all day. Now you're gonna see my comedy
2: act. (laughs)